Um, so if you're in Acts chapter 13, uh, we're going to look at the first missionary journey. Um, you remember the background of the slow transition from a Jewish church to a Jewish and Gentile church. Well, now we're going to see, by the time we come to the end of chapter 13, a predominantly Gentile church with a sprinkling of Jewish believers. So it's going to be a radically different church. We, we saw through um, the famine that was recorded um, in last week's message that was around the year 46 um, A.D., and so this is around the year 50 that the Apostle Paul and um, Barnabas are going to be led of the Holy Spirit to go out on the first missionary journey. Now, I believe I put a, a slide up here, uh, once again, uh, of where they're going to go. So we'll look at that in just a minute. But the big idea is to allow Christ to live his life through your life. You'll never be a missionary on a foreign field if you're not first a missionary at home. Share the gospel at home, and the Lord just may use you to share the gospel abroad. And so allow Christ to live his life through your life. Now, if you have any idea at all about geography, someone raise their hand and tell me what part of the world is this picturing. Can anybody pick out at least two nations, possibly three Turkey, Greece, all right, Macedonia, Israel, Egypt, all right, and then North Africa. So the first missionary journey takes place in the land of Turkey. And uh, we will see all of the different cities that they go to visit. So it wasn't quite a loop. It was three quarters of a loop and then turn around and uh, repeated that process on, on the way back, uh, strengthening the churches that they had led. So we're going to uh, see how this takes place tonight. All right, one more thing that's, you just have to work with me, because sometimes I forget to mention things, but then I remember, so I've got to get out of my head while I'm remembering. Um, if you've been praying for Josiah, and I know it's going to be a little awkward, but he knows, knows that it's supposed to happen here. Uh, Josiah is looking at staying here uh, through uh, one more year, and so it looks like the school has work for him to do, and the church would obviously have work for him to do, but what we're trying to do together is to try to piece together some picture of his job description and hours and income, and so if you have been supporting him for the internship, that will technically come to an end uh, in May, and then in July, what we need to do uh, is come up with a new budget. And so if you would communicate to us, we're going to get a card out to the congregation. We'll go through this next Sunday morning, but be praying about it this week um, and see what will continue as far as support would be concerned. But this time, instead of going into a love fund, it would go into the general fund and be used to provide him a salary. And so it would actually be budgeted this year. Uh, in the budget that way. So, um, all right, that was a little parenthetical bracket in the message. He's our own little missionary right here, okay? All right, let's look here at the first five verses. Let's look at uh, the church in Antioch as becoming a 
sending church in spirit-led decision. Verses 1 through 5. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So in short, the Holy Spirit is going to do a work. And he has asked that the church in Antioch separate from their body uh, Saul and Barnabas to go forward to the work that he wants them to do. Uh, Now there were, as you see, many teachers in the church. Now, praise the Lord, we have people in Calvary who can teach. Um, That's a wonderful thing. Um, When I was at Cornerstone, we started out with, uh, you know, just five or or ten people, and we didn't really have anyone else that would teach. Those early years were hard. Um, I remember going away And uh, then coming back, and one of the men said, Pastor, why don't you let us do this from now on instead of having to to rely on outsiders to come in? I'm like, you know what? That's actually biblical. Let's do that. And so we called it the Priesthood of the Believer Sunday. And uh, once a quarter on a Sunday night, we had the, the men in the church just bring the message. And so it wasn't pastor doing all the preaching. And then through a process of time, God brought us some different people And uh, then the church was filled uh, with those that could teach. And so it was exciting. And so that's one thing you can pray for, uh, more teachers. It never hurts to have more teachers, Um, men and women teachers. And I know that we're praying for the Christian school. Uh, Now, I'm thankful for Rick and his philosophy. Let me just take a time out about the school here. We're not after just warm bodies, okay? Because I've been around Christian education, Christian schools long enough to know that sometimes people who are not qualified get thrown into things where they feel very overwhelmed and they really don't want to be there, but they want to honor the Lord and their pastor. And so they do it, but it really doesn't work, (laughs) okay? It ends up causing a lot of problems. And so uh, we're not trying that route. We're, We're going with what the Lord is providing and we have qualified people that are coming in. So I praise the Lord for that. So continue your prayers along that line. So um, these men are teachers, and teaching edifies and it builds up the church. So believers can know about God, know Him personally, and then they get to watch God work. So here in the first couple of verses, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, calls them to make a decision. He asked them to follow his leading. That's the best thing that I could ask out of any one of you who are here tonight or those that are watching online. Please be led of the Holy Spirit. The scripture talks about that in terms like walk in the Spirit. Walking is taking repeated steps in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we can look back and see, wow, the Holy Spirit has led me all this way. So now this is a a dramatic change, however, as the Holy Spirit is telling this church, I've got a special job 
And I want these two men to do this job. So let's look at verses 3, 4, and 5. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So though being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Cilicia, and from there they sailed on to Cyprus. Now, who do you know of the two is from Cyprus? Well, that would have been Barnabas, all right? So he, he's going there to visit uh, people that he knows. Verse 5, and, uh, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had also John uh, to their minister. All right, so they took along with them a young protege. His name was John Mark, and uh, he was very helpful. And he did things for them. So he was their servant, all right, as their minister. That's the idea. And so he was there to, to help them. So they set sail from uh, Antioch, Syria, which if you look on the map, is over on the right-hand side of the map, um, where you see kind of the dark arrow pointing down, and then you see it going over to the island of Cyprus. And they land there. And they come to the city of Paphos on this island. And uh, we read what happens here um, in their ministry. All right, so they preach the word of the Lord, but it doesn't say any results happened. Sometimes you preach, and it just takes a while for the fruit to show up. But now, verse 6, something dramatic changes here. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. All right, now, uh, Hebrew Bar means son of, and then Jesus is uh, Yeshua or Joshua, son of Joshua. Now, this is very unusual um, because you usually don't find sorcerers being Jewish. Um, that's just not what they practice. They didn't practice witchcraft. That's not what Jewish people do as the norm. So this is an unusual situation. Uh, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now this is very interesting. But Elmias, the sorcerer, or uh, Bar-Jesus, the same guy, uh, for so was his name by interpretation, uh, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Paul, who also was called uh, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert? The right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company uh, loosed from Paphos, they came to Pergia in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. All right, so the first church that we look at is the church in Antioch, Syria, spirit-led decision. 
And so once again, let me just remind you, be led of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're not intended to stay at Calvary Baptist in Hollister. Maybe God wants to send you out into the world or another part of our country to start a church. Um, Now, my oldest son has taken a job over in Merced, and we were over there Saturday looking at places for him to live, and uh, we caught whispers of of a a church that's just started over there and, and so forth. But someone has left their home to go to the city of Merced and start a church. Praise the Lord. We need more of that in California. And so um, I know when my brother-in-law moved to Folsom, California, he felt led of the Lord to start a church in the basement of his home. And uh, that church is Faith Baptist of Folsom. Uh, Pastor Ron Perry is pastoring now. Um, So lay people being led of the Lord, they can start churches. Um, I think I shared with you the story of Parnina. Uh, Parnina was a 95-year-old woman who uh, was just depressed, and she was in a care facility. She thought, why is God punishing me by allowing me to languish here in the closing years of my life? And so she was talking to one of the social workers there at the care facility, and they called uh, our church because she wanted a Baptist pastor to come and visit and pray with her. So I was glad to do that. Um, And so as I listened to Parnina, it was uh, exciting to hear that the Lord had used her on at least three different occasions to start a church out of her garage. Uh, A woman starting a church in a community and then called a pastor and uh, built great and thriving churches. And so she was lamenting that she didn't have that, that youth and that vitality to do that anything like that anymore. And I just said to her, you know, Parnina, God's not done using you. There's some reason why you're here. And so why don't you just pray for our church? Because that's the one thing you can do is you can pray. And uh, there wasn't anyone else in the room at the time. And I said, but if you get a roommate, why don't you pray for your roommate to come to know Christ? And well, I tell you the story all the time. That was Margot. That was Parnina's roommate. So God did use her. And so she was a missionary right there in her own little care facility. Uh, but she was led of the Spirit of God. All right, now our next church um, is this. It's Paphos, Satanic-inspired deception. Um, the Word of God is described as seed, and the soils, uh, or the soil is the hearts of men. And as the seed is cast, um, sometimes the heart is impervious and hard, and the seed cannot penetrate, and it won't grow. It gets trampled down as uh, maybe it's a pathway or something. It, it just doesn't take root, all right? Then sometimes it gets right on the edge where maybe some soil was accidentally turned over, but it's not intending to be part of the field, and so it grows together with the weeds, and it gets choked out. Uh, sometimes uh, it gets planted in the field, but it's a rocky outcropping, and, and the, the soil is very shallow, and so it springs up right away. It germinates quickly because it's warmer, and it begins to grow, but then when the heat turns on, it dies off uh, because it doesn't have any depth in the soil. And then, praise God, um, some seed goes into the furrows, uh, takes deep root, grows, and brings forth seed, and, and it multiplies in life. And so the hearts of men 
are like the different kinds of, of soil. And uh, so here you have this Jewish sorcerer um, who is going to be used of the devil to try to steal the seed that Paul and Barnabas are planting on the island of Cyprus. Now, they, they started on one side of the island at a port, and they're walking across the island and preaching the word of God. It doesn't seem like anything is happening until they come to this city. And this man uh, who is mentioned here as proconsul, uh, Sergius Paulus, a proconsul, um, he's described as a prudent man, and he wants to investigate the message that he's hearing. There's these men on the island, and they're preaching about this person called Jesus. And um, they're starting groups of things that they call Christians. And they're, they're forming these things called churches. And so he's like, all right, well, maybe as an official, he needs to know what's going on. But I think there's more to it here. He's personally wanting to hear the message. And he has somebody, maybe they're on staff with him. Um, this uh, sorcerer, okay, um, whose name was Bar-Jesus, or son of Joshua, Elmyrus, all right, and uh, Elmias, and he is trying to oppose the gospel. I cannot tell you how much Satan will fight for souls. He does not give up on keeping people in bondage. Uh, years ago, we had Jim Van Gelderen from the uh, Minuteman Evangelistic team come through, and they did this ministry called The War. And uh, they have these teams called Army and Navy, uh, and if it grows, then they have more. They have Coast Guard and Marines and, and, and so forth. And so they, they, they go to the public schools, junior high schools and the high schools, and they try to recruit the kids, uh, get the, a text uh, or a phone number. They text them and invite them, remind them. Then they get names, and they start praying for these kids. And uh, they've seen hundreds and thousands of, of teenagers come to know the Lord through the ministry. Well, we had absolute spiritual warfare break out of us when they came to Pleasant Hill. They had the police called on them for passing out invitations on the sidewalk out in front of the school. Uh, we had principals calling, trying to tell us how we can do ministry and what we should and shouldn't be doing with children. Uh, we had parents calling from the community, how dare you use a military theme of violence? You know, it's just like, oh, wow, you know. This is just crazy. And so uh, I know Jim Van Gelderen mentioned to me that was great spiritual warfare. But we must not forget that's what gospel proclamation is. The devil doesn't like it when a church gets busy with the gospel. He'll oppose the spreading of the gospel, the sowing of the seed. So he does that here. And uh, he uses this man to try to dissuade him, to turn him away from the Lord. And so Paul, being led of the Spirit, uh, puts blindness upon him. And God uses this so that Sergius Paulus will come to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now, I have a couple of pictures here that I want to show you. All right, uh, These are stones from... Uh, this one in particular is from Turkey. And so Sergius Paulus was a Roman proconsul. 
uh, he was well known in history. And so here's his name etched in stone. And we see it thousands of years later. So this is not mythology. This isn't fabricated name. All right. This is a real person and his name's there. All right. Now this next stone, uh, his name is on there. And this is from the island of Cyprus. And so he's a real historical person. And his name shows up here thousands of years later. Imagine that. God wasn't making something up just to fill in detail. All right. So this man... Uh, is an influential man, and the Lord saves him. And so there's some fruit uh, from this ministry. And uh, says, he believed, being astonished, verse 12, at the doctrine of the Lord. And so I think the Lord uses this um, as a way to give credibility, maybe protection, to uh, the beginnings of churches on the island of Cyprus. And so this is a very exciting uh, fruit that you see taking place. Um, I know when uh, P.D. Cherian was uh, starting his college there in uh, India, uh, bought a parcel of ground, and the Hindus told him that that ground was cursed. There was no such thing as water on that ground. And he just prayed, and they drilled, and they drilled, and they drilled, and they drilled, And then they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they finally hit water and the people were astonished. And the Lord has blessed them. And it's amazing that a lot of the children that come to their Christian school are actually from Hindu families. uh, Because they know the power of God is on that place and through that ministry and they see God at work. And so what an exciting thing. But there's going to be satanic-inspired deception that takes place. The devil will try to deceive. Um, Corinthians describes it as a veil of blindness over their understanding. And so when you share the gospel, you're not doing something just intellectual. You're not doing something that's academic. You're engaged in spiritual warfare. And God will win. Amen? And so it's exciting to see the fruit that takes place. All right, so this is uh, two different cities so far. Now let's keep going. They go to uh, Perga. Um, We catch here a little hint of what's taking place at the end of that section we were just reading in verse 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So here um, we have serious desertion. This is a serious offense. Um, This will eventually cause a rift between Paul and Barnabas. And Paul will end up by chapter 16, before we go on to the second missionary journey, Paul will have a new partner, his name is Silas. And Barnabas will have John Mark. Now, the good news is that later, um, John Mark made things right. And Paul was willing to forgive. And he said, go get John Mark, he's useful to me. He's useful to the Lord. And so there was restoration. But here, uh, we really don't know what took place. Now, if you... 
see the names of these cities. I wish I, I, I probably should have come up with some pictures. Uh, but they landed, let's go back to the, the map here for just a second. Um, they landed there in southern Turkey, and it's a jagged coastline. But then as you go just a, a couple of miles inland, then you hit a very strenuous, long uphill climb to get into the high country of Turkey. And um, the road to get up to that high country was known as the road of bandits and of robbers. Perhaps John Mark said, you know what? Mom sent me, but she told me to be safe. I don't think that's safe. I don't think I should go. All right? Who knows what the reason is? All right? So this is the level of speculation. If you disagree, so be it. Nothing binding here at this part of the message. But perhaps he was envious that Paul is becoming the spokesperson and Barnabas is being quiet. But either way, he leaves the team. Let me just encourage you. When you say you're going to do something for the Lord, follow through on it. Do it. When you make a promise, you keep it even to your own hurt. Now, let me share with you an example of that. Um, when I went to Cornerstone, it was a struggling church. And they had taken three votes to shut the church down. And the vote failed each time. And the people that voted to shut the church down, well, they left. That's how they, they solved the problem. All right. Um, but so many of them thought that the church was closing. They said, well, you know what? Our pastor, who we love and who left here, let's give him tens of thousands of dollars of retirement money. And the church voted on that. And coming in to that kind of situation, do I honor that or do I ignore that? Well, the church had made a promise. We kept that. And we gave him what the congregation had voted on. And I'm going to tell you something. The Lord didn't cheat us. The Lord repaid everything. Uh, there was another church that closed in California, and when they sold their property, they sent us a $70,000 check, repaid us all of what we had given to the pastor, plus some. Another individual, when the husband and wife, they actively attended the church, they never joined. When they died, they left $44,000 in their estate. There was um, a lady who, for many years, uh, was uh, not allowed to give tithes and offerings to the Lord. Her unsaved husband absolutely forbid it. He died. And uh, he owned a home. And she, uh, they owned actually two homes. And so she sold the one in California. And she moved to Oregon. And she said to me, Pastor, can I tithe on the sale of the house? Now that my husband's gone, would that be dishonoring? I said, absolutely not. You're not under bondage anymore. You can do whatever you want. And there was a check for over $20,000. And so it was amazing, uh, all of the different things that, that God did. Uh, but you follow through on what you promise. And uh, those people uh, were a great blessing to us. Um, so don't desert the work of the Lord. Um, and so there were lots of different possibilities of why John Mark left. Uh, but we know that he flickered and his light was dimming. 
He wasn't that gospel light. He turned around and he went home. And uh, as I told you, this did cause Paul to reject him. When it came time to start the, the second missionary trip, Paul's like, no, no. He, he deserted us the first time. I don't think desertion ranks high in character traits for missionary work. Nope, not going to happen. And uh, Barnabas, being the son of consolations, like, no, look, he was just a young man. Nope, won't hear you out on that, Barnabas, sorry. And so the second missionary trip is completely different. All right, now let's move to the third uh, or fourth uh, church, Antioch in Pisidia. Okay, now this is a different church. Uh, this is in Turkey. Antioch, Turkey, not Antioch, Syria. Uh, Beginning in uh, verses 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law, the prophets of the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, You men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say so or say on. Then Paul stood up beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelled as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought them out of it. And about that time of 40 years suffered uh, he their manners in the wilderness. And so he goes through and he begins to share um, what happened in Israel's history. Now, Jewish people, all right, they had synagogue school. They knew these things. These stories were like drilled into their brain, all right? So why is Paul starting this way, all right? Well, he's definitely identifying himself as a fellow Jew. And uh, he's building a connection with his kinsmen. He's laying a common ground. He's finding something in common with them to use as a bridge to advance the gospel. Are you watching what Paul does here? Pay attention. Um, You're going to learn, if you take this passage, uh, verses 14 through 52, how to witness to a Jewish person just using the Old Testament. You don't need the New Testament. You can do it from the Old Testament. And this is what Paul does in this particular section. So he goes through and he tells them all of their past. Um, he eventually lays it out that the Messiah would come from uh, the family of David. All right, so um, look with me here at um, going back up to verse 23. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now he breaks it out to them. This is something new that they hadn't heard before. Israel has a Savior. His name is Jesus. New information. All right. And uh, when John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course and said, whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Wow, that's news. That's a different thing. Now, did you catch a couple of times the address to the Israelites or the Jews? 
But then also this next phrase, and those that fear God. Did you catch that in those verses? These uh, are the Gentile people that are what they called God fears. So look at verse 26. And whosoever among you feareth God, to you is this word of salvation sent. Same message for Jew and Gentile. So a Gentile who would not worship the carved idols, they knew in their heart and in their mind to be a person of integrity, not to get involved in idolatry, not to get into idol worship. They would go to the Jewish synagogue and they feared God. They wanted to learn about the true and the living God. So they went there. Paul is saying to them, not only do I have good news for the Jews, I have great news for you Gentiles too. Anyone who fears God hears this message of salvation that is sent to you. So then he preaches to them Jesus. Um, so in verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. All right. Now that's something new. That's the resurrection of Christ. And so what is the gospel? Well, Paul said it's the death, the burial, the resurrection. So Paul's preaching a very... Now what is the response here? Okay, so he declared the gospel. Um, and that goes all the way through verse 37. Uh, verse 34, and it's concerning that he raised him up from the dead... Now no more uh, to return to corruption. He uh, said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Now, verse 37, but he whom God again uh, saw, raised, saw no corruption. So Jesus didn't decay in the grave. So he's alive. Be it known unto you, verse 38, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Hey, that's wonderful news. You can have your sins forgiven through this Jesus whom I'm preaching to you. All right, so now what's the response? 39. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them when? The next Sabbath. So Paul generated quite some interest in Antioch. He got the Gentiles excited, and they're coming to him saying, Hey, next week, would you tell us the rest of the story? We've got to hear the conclusion of this. Well, Paul didn't wait, uh, and neither did the Jews. All right, um, Verse 42, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, all right, so they left. Now, verse 43, now when the congregation was broken up, Many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in what? The grace of God. So Jews and Gentiles were saved that day. Hey, I, I want to ask you this question. 
Can a person get saved hearing the gospel the first time? Yeah, absolutely. So let's share it. And if they don't get saved the first time, and you've laid a good foundation like the Apostle Paul, you've connected with them, now you have relationships. You've met new people. You have new friends. And then you can share with them the next time. And so they're continuing in the grace of God. Now verse 44, the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Hey, now that's exciting. The whole city wants to hear the gospel. Uh, Here's something maybe you're not thinking about. Christianity is not a country boy religion. This is city people religion. Okay? Um, The gospel is for the cities and the country. But it's not like as those who oppose the message of Christ in our country today, you know, that's a country boy message, that's, that's backwoods, that's hick, all right? Only slow people believe that, right? No, this is a message for all people. And so the whole city comes together. And so there's a great uh, harvest of souls. And so Paul then uh, puts them uh, into a church, and he exhorts them to continue in the grace of God. And he tells them that religion is not going to save them. Um, So he's like, the law of Moses could not do that, verse 39. But this is what Jesus can do. All right? So make sure that you're not presenting religion, but presenting Jesus. Because religion is not going to help your friend, but Jesus will save your friend. So they have great things taking place here. Justification, the act of God, whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous through Jesus Christ. Now, uh, as we close this out, I want you to uh, look at these closing verses. Then uh, verse 46, um, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy... Now, this, this is stunning, all right? Unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to who? The Gentiles. This is the major pivot point in the book of Acts, where the church was predominantly Jewish with a sprinkling of Gentiles. It'll become predominantly Gentile with a sprinkling of Jewish. But notice what Paul says. To the Jewish people, he says, you consider yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. You know what condemns a person to hell? Is their willful unbelief. They have condemned themselves. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and remission of sins. And so they judge themselves unworthy of everlasting life because they rejected it. Now, a couple of things here that we're going to look at that that we might stumble on, but it's very simple. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So Paul is saying, this is my commission. I'm an apostle to Gentiles. Verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad 
and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. All right. Does God ordain people to eternal life? Are, are people elect? Absolutely. You can't argue that. I'm sorry if you don't believe in election, but God elects to save people through Jesus Christ. He does. People are elect. But you cannot ignore man's responsibility here. And notice with me as we keep reading. Um, and as many were ordained to eternal life, believed and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and caused persecutions against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. Um, so, a couple of things here. All right. Um, verse 47. Those people in Antioch, Turkey, would never have been saved if Paul didn't go and preach the gospel. You can't ignore that either. So you see, God chooses to use us as Christians to share the gospel. And we don't sit there and try to figure out who's elect and unelect. Right? One of my uh, evangelistic soul-winning heroes was uh, James D. Kennedy out of uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Coral Ridge, Florida. He started a ministry called Evangelism Explosion that went into every known geopolitical boundary of the world during his lifetime, in one life. Um, and someone was asking him if he thought that such a broad and expansive ministry, um, that he was preaching to those who were not elect, because he was a Presbyterian and they really get into the election thing. He said, you know, he says, I think God will forgive me for preaching the gospel to non-elect, if they are unelect. <laughs> Just leave it in God's hand. We don't know who is and who isn't. Our job is just to go and let God do his work in the hearts and souls of men. But it's never going to happen in Hollister unless we, as an individual Christian, introduce our friends, our neighbors, strangers, our family, um, our co-workers to Jesus Christ. Vendors on the phone. Some of us, like me, all right, uh, kind of live a sheltered life where we work in a Christian ministry. When do I get chances to share the gospel? Well, I have to be intentional. I have to make my chances to do that. So I have to encourage myself. So I encourage you. This week, let's be spirit-led. Let's be intentional with the gospel. Let Christ live his life through your life. This is the first missionary journey, and uh, what we're going to do is this is going to be part two. There's going to be a return trip, and uh, you'll get to see some more cities and the reaction and the strength.